You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 137 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards, and today David Lyons is missing, and uh, we have a, a guest host here with us, friend of the show, Mark. How you doing, Mark? Good. Uh, Mark works in design and technology for a company that we're probably not going to talk about, because that's not what the show's about, is it? No, not really. Let's just skip that part. But seriously, where is Lyons? Um, so he, he kind of told me just to say that he was gone and not to say why, which, you know, saying that that way now makes everyone want to know where he is. So I thought we could, you know, take a minute and have some theories about what Lyons is up to. And my top guess is he's standing in line to buy an iPhone 7 somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be a, a very great twist of, of ironic uh, storytelling. Uh, I think my my guess since the last time I saw him, he was really bearded. Uh, he's finally searching for the Arkenstone. <laughs> <But laughs> just like full like like wizard Gandalf beard, or <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a bit taller than him, so to me, he looked like one of those dwarfs. So it <laughs> made perfect sense. <laughs> so, sorry, lions. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll survive against Smaug. Um, uh, I mean, other options are maybe he was abducted by aliens. Maybe he uh, went off to the country to live on a farm and he's very happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe he's inventing some, some Scottish version of instead of flipping logs, he's actually flipping tables there and <laughs> teaching them how to do that. <laughs> it's all about leverage and the fulcrum and the, the, what, the centripetal force. Uh, yeah, there you, there you lost me. Um, <laughs> Physics, no idea man. what that means. <laughs> well, I always learned about centrifugal force, and then when I took a physics course, they kept talking about centripetal force, which is different um, somehow, or maybe it's a relativity thing. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I don't work in anything scientific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're going far afield. I will say uh, physics really baffled me in my undergrad because it looks like math, but I just kept getting it wrong, even though it looked like math. Yeah, that, that summarizes my school experiences <laughs> pretty well. Uh, so we do have some actual topics this week while Lions is out. And uh, I think it's a pretty good crop we got here. And uh, for starters, just a little appetizer of... Uh, there's uh, this cool article I saw about a special line of clothing that uh, the 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 the... Not the fragment, the, the fabric of... Uh, this this clothing is super reflective, like more than just like, oh, it kind of turns white when you use flash photography on it, but it actually reflects a significant portion of the light back uh, at the camera, which means flash photography just turns everyone into these ghostly figures with giant, bright, shining lights of clothing, almost like you're staring at a, an alien ship that landed that's uh, shining all these you know close encounters lights at you. Um, and the idea behind it is, I think, primarily that uh, paparazzi can now no longer take nighttime photos of you when they're using flash, which, I mean, my first question was, you know, aside from, hey, that tech looks really cool that you can do that. Um, do paparazzi still use flash? I guess maybe, but... I think it's the, the type of flash that Apple has not uh, 
started a crusade against yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an old one. The uh, sorry, on I just had to. <laughs> no, that's a good one though. Um, yeah, and I mean, I just the tech is cool, but is this like just the nichiest of niches of like you're out on the nightlife and you're popular enough that strange people get paid to come take scandalous pictures of you against your will, um, wear this clothing, and now your problem's gone. I don't know. I, to to me, I feel like every time I'm I'm standing in line at the at the grocery store or something, it's always bikini photos. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, they're on the beach or they're just like grocery shopping during the day, and they're with their kids, and they're like, seriously, come on. Yeah. So so would you just need an entire wardrobe just full of reflective? clothing and i don't know that that doesn't seem very convenient to me it's, <laughs> it's a I, cool concept for sure like i think unfortunately some of these photos look really cool <laughs> so maybe yeah, it would encourage exactly. just a new kind of photography but it also that all the styles shown here are like cool guy in a suit or in a hoodie it's kind of like i don't know if regular celebrities would really Regular celebrities. What am I even talking about? I mean, I mean, he's he's a DJ, so of course he has to pose like in <laughs> yeah. in uh, pun totally intended flashy poses. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it if it uh, if you know that you are doing something that you definitely don't want photographic proof in the yeah in the yellow press, then by all means go for it. I would be interested to see how that actually affects other things. Like, can I do that when I'm driving? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, cyclists often wear not this reflective, but pretty reflective clothing just so the headlights let you know, hey, don't run this person over. But one of the gifts they have in this article, actually, it looks like pretty full studio lighting. And when they take a flash photo with an iPhone, it still turned him into a crazy ghost. And so maybe they're just hoping paparazzi don't turn flash off when they're taking pictures out when they're out and about and that it just works even in the daylight. Yeah. Uh, in the interest of actually considering the tech part, they, they say this fabric is coated with gazillions of glass nanospheres, um, which causes it to reflect all that light back. Hmm. Nanospheres. <laughs> That was one of our tiny topics for the day, but uh, one of the reasons I was excited to to do this episode with you guesting is uh, to talk about Internet of Things fragmentation. So um, you do a little bit of work in the Internet of Things space, though we're not going to talk about specifics. Nope. Um, <laughs> and I, I kind of was, you know, interested in you setting the stage. So what is what is this fragmentation that we're seeing in the Internet of Things, and what does that even mean if i'm a regular guy that just wants some colored light bulbs in my house uh i mean the the basic premise of of the the internet of things is just like the the regular internet you need to have certain standards and protocols so that things can talk to each other and uh from what i've observed and uh overheard frequently both through work channels and personal interests that there's just a what was that word uh just a cacophony of, of protocols yeah. <laughs> with no clear winner. Um, and you have things that, that just don't talk to each other properly. And it's just becoming like, oh, if you want to use this particular light bulb, you also need to have their smart home hub to control all of those things. Yeah. And you have big players uh, entering that. And I think uh, even in the, in the latest uh, iOS 
is this kind of like you know desktop computer io before usb where it's like well you need a printer port and you need a scuzzy and you need a um, sort of all these random ports and you know apple had a separate mouse port before they famously killed it all off for usb with the imac um, and that that famous puck mouse that everyone loves to hate, oh. <laughs> rightfully so. It's <is> terrible, <laughs> mouse, but yeah, is it is it kind of like that? Where it's like, oh, instead of one standard port, and I we we still have other ports. We you know we have Thunderbolt, we have other things, but um, the situation is so much better now for physical I/O. Yeah, and is Internet of Things just needs to get there where we agree on the protocols? Yeah, I think it's it's more of a protocol thing. Um, just just so that they all talk properly to each other, and I think a lot of that. And and I'm not. When you say I work in design and tech, I mostly work on the design aspect. So nobody shoot me when I say this, but I think you have a lot of potential by tapping into into APIs and those kinds of uh, technical uh, backbones to to support these kinds of things, but. It, Right now, it feels like everybody's just doing their own things. And uh, even in the industrial sector, uh, where they say, oh, machines don't, don't talk to each other properly. Do you think we'll see a C-3PO that will talk to the machines for us? <laughs> you know, that was actually one of the things I kept thinking about. Like, do, do we need interpreters? Like, oh, yeah, my, my basic job is talking to water condensers. Like, great. <laughs> Living the dream, man. Uh, <laughs> binary load lifters. There's that uh, clip everyone keeps sharing from, you ever watch Rick and Morty? Oh, getting swifty. <laughs> what well, was the one where you, the little robot is like, you pass butter. What is my purpose? <laughs> That's it, buddy. <laughs> and then the robot goes, oh my God. <laughs> and then he's like, join the club. <laughs> Oh, that's wow, that's, I'll that's, throw that in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 137. Um, is there any reason to think this Internet of Things fragmentation is like I brought up the physical IO in the 90s and 80s? Is this worse than that? Is there a reason to think it won't work itself out the same way the other horrible standard messes typically do over time? I have the, the feeling that. It might be just just worse. I feel his, historically we've we've seen so many compatibility issues on the software side um, that that I'm just worried that they just oh well with maybe maybe because things can be hacked like with some crazy hooks and and whatnot um, that people just assume that they that oh well customers will figure it out but that's just not an ideal state yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty visceral fear in the regular person is like, you want me to hook everything in my house up to the internet? Um, you know, I'll, I'll get locked out, I'll get crushed, the dishwasher will attack me, it'll be some Stephen King kind of story or something. Yeah. Um, or either just, you know, whether it's someone nefarious or just malfunctions and it's like you just introduce more complexity into things that need to be stable and reliable. And, you know, now my my fridge won't keep anything cold yeah exactly or think about it i mean i'm not allowed i'm I'm not sure if i'm allowed to say that since it sounds like i'm abusing that the privilege of lions not being here but <laughs> what, what if you have a similar fragmentation of of iot protocols just like like android so 
you have a, a Samsung fridge that also has like all that Samsung bloatware. Oh, you can only buy stuff from there and there. Otherwise, it will not recognize it or, or something like that. Yeah. Like those smart fridges that tell you when something will expire. It's like, no, we have a deal with PepsiCo. Yeah. <laughs> Coke products are not recognized. And I mean, isn't that, I mean, you say Samsung, but Apple's going to do the same thing with their platform. Is Of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just like, it's like simultaneously, that's what's going to make this space work better is the vertical integration of probably a proprietary approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, I think with a lot of tech, it's like, it seems like that happens first a lot just to prove the financial value. And then we struggle and rest control into more generous open options once it's matured. Um, I don't know if that's a narrative I'm just kind of throwing on all of tech, but it's like, I'm glad that Android exists. I'm glad, you know, I kind of wish the ecosystem was more than a duopoly like our political system, but it's it's good that it's not just Apple in the smartphone space and I don't want Internet of Things to be that way, but yeah. Man, it's just kind of a bunch of cats right now running crazy attacking the curtains and you know on the floor and it's like <laughs> at some point we got to bring some order to this chaos, don't we? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm always a little worried that we have this uh, this kind of lock-in effect. There's a great book by, uh, I think his name is Jaron Lanier, uh, "You Are Not a Gadget," um, which which talks about so many of the the facets of our modern technology have been been shaped by kind of this uh, uh, what do you call it we've always done things this way mentality where there were legacy design decisions, both on a, on a software and on a, on a hardware um, side that, well, now we just need to keep doing these. And I mean, especially as of right now, we can see what happens when you try to change legacy systems, but that's probably a discussion that (laughs) could take us way off topic. (laughs) Uh, headphone jack? No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) headphone gate. (laughs) Uh, I guess the other big question that, you know, we were talking pre-show about sort of getting into this was, uh, you know, what, what does happen when your device is old and it needs the internet and updates? Like it's one thing when, okay, my Dreamcast isn't going to be a good web browser. It it was never a good web browser. Let's just admit that. But, um, (laughs) It's not getting updates, man. And, uh, you know, in that case, well, it'll still play the disc games. And, you know, if I can find the the RCA cables to hook it up to some (laughs) ancient TV, um, it still functions as a Dreamcast, you know, except for the online stuff. But when it's your fridge and it's like, well, just because the Internet moved on doesn't mean keeping my, you know, tomorrow's lunch cold is a job that doesn't still need to be done. Yeah. Like what's a reasonable expectation of, of baseline functionality that can still be provided? And then what is a reasonable expectation for how long certain things just need to be supported? We we always really love crapping on, on Microsoft and their <laughs> backwards compatibility and legacy stuff. <laughs> and then on the other end of the spectrum, having companies who, who just uh, seemingly very trigger happy 
yeah kill legacy support so um it's it's a it's a difficult decision because what if you just discover something that's way more efficient and and way more powerful yeah like should you just say oh wait but we can't do that because it's no longer compatible with with this smart fridge protocol or... you know we get we got you know like hdtvs were a big boom because the difference between that and sd was so obvious and dramatic that people were willing to shell out and prices started coming down but um, going to 4k or god forbid 3d tv like it's just not working like people are like no i'm pretty happy with 1080p like you know my 60 inch but i sit 10 feet away from it like i don't feel the need to upgrade and you know what would happen in a internet of things world is your tv no longer gets netflix because you need the new system and netflix isn't bothering to update their old app and um, i don't see netflix doing that because they love to be on everything but um <laughs> you know take another example but just like your tv that works perfectly fine and you think the visual quality is as high as you need for your enjoyment of what you watch and the platform owner not because of a technical challenge but really to drive upgrades can be like meh you want the new os you got to buy the new thing yeah exactly and i mean that that's People have been worried about this for a long time in all sorts of corners, but it starts to hit a little deeper when it's your fridge or your your dryer or your dishwasher. And you're like, that's the thing I don't want to have to think about. Like, yeah, my super sexy iPhone 15, you know, I get, you know, I understand when it gets old and it can't run the new games, but I, whatever, I'm just texting my wife. It, you know, it doesn't need to be a supercomputer. Um, yeah. But, when I just want a clean plate the next day, <laughs> I'm going to feel kind of robbed probably at a deeper level. It's like, because I'm not just foregoing luxury. I'm foregoing normal, modern life. Yeah. Well, and then and then it's the kind of discussion, where do you draw the line between luxury and, and normal life and how many of those basic functions that would be considered like standards or, or minimum <laughs> viable uh, yeah. legacy function. <laughs> Uh, quote me on that. I'm, I'm totally going to coin that term. Now. <laughs> but, um, like, how much of that can still be be expected? Where do you draw the line? What needs yeah. to be like? Hey, your washer still works, but you can't schedule it from your watch anymore. Oh yeah, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll have to get up one more time today to actually push a button on my fridge instead of doing that uh, remotely. If they can be, I think one of the concepts we're brushing up against is basically the the graceful decay of functionality. You know, yeah. when, when support is left behind, um, websites that degrade well when old browsers connect to them, they still look good enough. We we see this everywhere, and so I, I think <laughs> you mean we see it everywhere that browsers don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We see the failure of that concept not really living up. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to see the. You know, I'm I'm not like a Marxist or something, but like the the capitalist machine's gonna love driving upgrades. So what's oh, the yeah. what's the counterbalance? Um, what's the what's the business plan that favors people using their old devices as long as possible? Is it the service? Is it the subscription? Is it something else? Yeah, is it an increased degree of convenience? I mean, you you had this concept of of artificial uh, what was it called? Like planned obsolescence? Thank you. Planned obsolescence. (laughs) (laughs) 
man, so, so many words that <laughs> I'm just not thinking of today. Um, planned obsolescence. And first you, you just, I mean, there's this, this theory and I'm pretty sure by now it's probably been proven that things have been manufactured in a way that they just break down after a certain time. And now you just have, I mean, if you have a smart fridge or a smart dishwasher, will there be a kill switch somewhere? And then just say, ah, man, you really <laughs> need to push this new product. Yeah. Like the, the Dishomatic OS uh, They're out 15. of warranty. It'll look like an accident. <laughs> yeah, it looked like an accident that my toaster just randomly <laughs> attacked my cat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe you will also need to, or they will completely abuse that as an argument saying, oh, well, we also found out that uh, Brogasm and his hacker group has <laughs> managed to infiltrate our protocols and we need to have this security hotfix for, for your microwave and for that, but it's just not compatible. We just cannot reasonably patch that so many generations backwards. And the carriers won't let us push the update out and Exactly. <laughs> it's it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> this awesome future we're headed towards. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's it always baffles me when I when we have these kinds of conversations that despite me working in that field I'm such a deeply cynical person about it <laughs> uh, and i just can't help it i i really want to be optimistic about it but i feel like time and time and again it's just well i mean the the great hope has always been that the need to compete will somehow make the better company rise but i mean we don't see that all the time sometimes we see it like genuine hey they made a better screen we need a better screen but um there's definitely like sometimes they're competing in the most efficient way to not give you good things for profit margin reasons. And so it's like, yeah, they're competing, but not to make you happy. Yeah. Um, it's just how much crap can we get away with? Let, let's compete on, on <laughs> the, the smartest ideas to, to abuse customers. Um, there's also kind of the, you know, like when you get your oil change, the, the sticker they put in that suggests when you should get your next one. Like, just imagine that on a tech level of suggested upgrades, suggested, hey, your battery, it's just not doing what it used to do, man. And, like, not that it's completely lying, but it's kind of prompting you, you know, towards something that happens to be good for the company, too. And, yeah. um, or even just, you know, with smarter cars, like, in what ways will they tell little lies to you to get you to provide more value to the company, whether it's drive in a certain way, drive at certain speeds. Um, and it's like, there, there's a whole spectrum here of like, some of them may be good for society. Maybe, you know, things will get safer, but it's also like, Oh, people will use more of this resource and we sell that resource, you know, printer ink or something. Yeah. Printer ink is probably a prime example. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's empty, and you take it out, and it still bleeds ink all over you. <laughs> like, but but you were not able to print a single page anymore. I think that in the the James Cameron movie Avatar, that's what they were they were going for printer ink. I think at that new planet, they, they had, we'd run out the most precious resource. <laughs> yeah, it was blue ink. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> 
Uh, any other angles on this, you know, this dystopian, cynical future we just described? I mean, what's the upshot? I mean, I guess that's what we hear about constantly is why we're taking the negative side because everyone's always promising the moon. But I mean, I, I can definitely see that if if I can outsource some brain power of, of remembering things and and even just, just menial tasks, um, if I can somehow outsource that to technology, by all means, I, I'll gladly do that. Um, I mean, somehow that, that can also take on silly extents, like, hey, it's, your alarm is at 6.30 next morning. You should go to bed now to have a full eight hours of sleep. I'm like, yeah. thanks, thanks, mom OS. Uh, <laughs> Like seriously, I, I I don't feel like I need that, and and I don't want that, or uh, a smart gadget reminding me to stand up or have a <laughs> sip of water every now and then. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you're trying to be helpful, or, but you're really just being a pet. My favorite new one: remember to breathe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> remember to. I breathe. get it. It's about mindfulness and whatever, but <laughs> yeah, my watch man. tells me to breathe. Yeah, that no. That, I think that's what mainly fuels uh, a large portion of my cynicism because it's just another example gone. I mean, they always talk about how, for example, iOS is going uh, dead core, but I feel like those are examples of, of software going mom core because that's like, hey, did you breathe today? <laughs> like, no. Man, I totally would have forgotten had my watch not reminded me. I suffocated hours ago. <laughs> can I can I sue them for the the watch not reminding me to breathe and having some some brain damage from oxygen or just like insufficiencies? You ever walk into a room and you forget why you walked into the room? I want my well, watch yeah, that to be able to tell me why. <laughs> yeah. You just entered the living room. You probably wanted to sit on the couch. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> totally would have forgotten. <laughs> I might have walked right through to the kitchen. But there, the, the problem that I'm seeing, especially in this, in this crazy race, and I think to some extent that might even contradict my, my basic premise of, of my fragmentation complaint is it is competition and it is a race um, but and I forgot where I read that, but for there to be a race, everybody needs to run in the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, a book by uh, a Harvard economist. Uh, if I remember it, we'll definitely put that in the show notes because it was a great book. Um, but that that's a little what I'm worried about. Like you might have these these nonsensical features, and then you, you get this. Uh, this this stupid pissing contest of like well we now have that too and it's it's faster and yeah like no but it was a dumb feature to implement in the first place <laughs> stop competing on on stupidity and i really wonder how often i'm having people over and they're just like man these lights just aren't moody enough for what we're doing right now <laughs> yeah i really wish you could just clap your hands or you know invoke siri and change the mood um, I, I mean, most of my complaints end up being 
typical early adopter ones, which is weird because I'm usually an early adopter. I have an Apple Watch. I've had one since launch, and most people didn't do that, and most people don't do that. Um, but I haven't been able to bring myself to be an early adopter of most of the Internet of Things stuff I've seen because to me it just looks clunky. It looks painful. It looks like, it. at least at first, it's going to take a lot more of my attention uh, to set up, to check... Um, it's going to load up my Wi-Fi network with all kinds of nonsense. It's, you know, whatever. Um, and they're expensive. Like I'm just not going to buy $70 light bulbs, but when the, you know, the price difference is a couple bucks and now I get to do fancy things from my phone, maybe I'll think about it. And so I'm weirdly wait and see when, and I'm kind of that way with VR too. Like I, I didn't drop a thousand dollars on a HTC Vive or anything, Oculus Rift, but you know, I, I just haven't gotten excited yet. And maybe it's just like the f- dumb futuristic videos of the Flintstones, or not Flintstones, the opposite, the Jetsons family. <laughs> <laughs> Flintstones. I mean, that's maybe the the full extent of a dystopian future. Man, everything has been bricked, so we're just going back to... That we drive our car by running in them. Exactly. Like serving each other dinosaur meat. Man, Flintstones was just great satire. Yeah, totally. So my long rambly point is just to say I'm not excited yet about it. And maybe it is because it's fragmented. Maybe it's just too expensive right now. But yeah, you know, when will it turn the corner and be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't need it yet, but I kind of really want it. Like, it just hasn't happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm always going back and forth between those extremes where I'm like, ah, this is just the greatest nonsense ever and i cannot possibly see myself investing in that but then i do talk to as lions calls it the mighty monolith quite a bit (laughs) Um, like i do have an echo and i really really enjoy using it because especially in the kitchen hands-free stuff or getting up and asking about news or weather or i could totally see myself plugging that into things on a theoretical level, I just have a hard time finding something out there. I'm like, oh yeah, this would be the perfect use case for that. Yeah. Like, do I? Do I? I mean, I live in a small place. Do Do I really want to save myself those four steps of walking to the coffee maker and instead yelling at my microphone speaker system <laughs> like, hey, turn on the coffee maker? Yeah. <laughs> Knowing myself, I will probably just have it run through yesterday's grounds anyways because I will have forgotten because my watch will not have reminded me to <laughs> refill water and uh, and coffee well, and grounds the evening before. Some of these use cases face honestly stiff competition, competition from very low tech, very low automation. Like we have a coffee maker and we can, you know, pour the ground, you know, into it and then pour the water in and then set a clock that will start brewing at 6:30 a.m. Yeah. And that's plenty. Like I don't need to trigger it from my watch. I don't need like it just needs to be coffee just needs to be there in the morning. It's really yeah. the job to be done. And it's cool that the infrastructure to do the genuinely impressive stuff will be created along the way, but right now tapping my watch to get coffee is just not doing it. Yeah. Or give me stuff that I I personally, uh, Mark, actually struggle with. Like maybe 
allow me an IoT protocol that has my my stove connected to a food thermometer in there and I just stop burning food. Um, that would be something that I would immediately want to have. <laughs> <laughs> so should we uh, move forward a little? <laughs> sure, I, I think we've beaten this obsolete topic down. Um, so one of the other things that we, we didn't have time to talk on recent flipping tables about that I've been waiting to talk about is uh, sort of these new consoles that got announced. Um, so play, Sony announced uh, the PS4 Pro, which is a souped-up PS4, and uh, you know it works. It's the same platform developers aren't targeting. It's sort of like uh, I compared it to when iOS gets an update or you know more like a new iPhone comes out and uh developers don't stop making games work with the old iPhones and sometimes there's new horsepower and new features that work in the new iPhone um though I I think Apple leaves it completely up to developers you can cut off support for old devices when you want where Sony's making it mandatory hey you have to support all PS4 platforms um, but it sort of raises the question of how this console gen is different. And to be sure, Microsoft made a very similar announcement um, of Project Scorpio, which uh, that's definitely <laughs> not <laughs> their final name for whatever X-Bone they're going to release next year. I'd hope. I'd really hope. Um, but these are 4K capable in terms of resolution. Um, we're actually still far off from being able to do 4K smooth gaming, um, even on the most expensive PC cards you can buy. So I find it skeptical that you know Sony and Microsoft are going to release... Like, this isn't going to be eight years of advancement packed into three years. Um, these are going to be more incremental. And so what does this say about these console platforms and how it's different? Um, I, I, do you even have one of the most recent gen consoles? I, I have an X-Bone okay. um, and frequently regret it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, are you psyched? Like, hey, the, the graphics are going to get a bump and I no, can now... No, I, th- I think it's exactly what you had mentioned earlier that when when the transition happened from, from SD to HD, it was like, oh, this is amazing. I definitely need to have that. But now the, the switch from, from HD to whatever they want to call it um, <laughs> afterwards, 4K or... Which, to be clear, none, uh, none of these new consoles are probably going to be doing 4K gaming very much. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I, I'm just... Nah. <laughs> I mean, I, I got pinged like, hey, now we have Cortana on the X-Bone. Like, Great. Yeah, um, can you just start the game? Thanks, please. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a streamlined process already. Like, if I push two buttons instead of, or or I have to yell at at a microphone, I don't I don't see that as as a significant gain in in my experience. And especially, like you said, there there is no. There is very going to be very little 4K gaming, so I, I just cannot possibly make a reasonable argument for myself to justify shelling out that kind of money. I mean, maybe it's a pitch, an, an ongoing pitch to people that haven't bought into the platform yet. So, oh yeah, for sure. Like buy something like, that's a bit more future proof. 
Or buy the cheaper old gen PS4, and it's the same games. They just are lower res, or you know, thirty frames per second instead of sixty or whatever. Um, yeah, I wonder if it's you know the optimistic take is that it's more like the iPhone, where it's just kind of it's one platform to rule them all, and they just release new phones every year, and uh, that's good for Sony if they can you know basically cut their upgrade cycle in half, um, and or have some more business stability because i mean to be fair like launching new consoles in the past has been like stressful to a company like it's like a huge bet you put so much wood behind the arrow you try to line up all these exclusives and like this kind of move maybe stabilizes their business a bit more it's like hey let's not potentially throw away our market lead every single time we launch a new launch a new console yeah and for the consumers, I guess the the upside is potentially, you know, here's me trying to be, you know, devil's advocate. Uh, instead, you know, you bought a PS3. We talked about this in the pre-show. Um, y- you had to, it was like seven or eight years before you got a PS4. And so unless you were willing to be a PC gamer, um, a lot of things were kind of set at one level and the graphics weren't going to get that much better. I mean, developers pulled more out of the hardware, but it wasn't going to be a big leap. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like, hey, I bought one box and I can run any game they release on it for the next, you know, five to eight years. Um, On the other hand, all game developers will now be targeting this least common denominator and they may not do as much cool stuff that they would like to do. Yeah. Um, So maybe this strikes a better balance of the hardware can advance um, a little faster. And, you know, maybe PS4 gamers aren't going to buy the PS4 Pro, but they might buy the next one in a couple years. Yeah, I I could see that. Maybe it's also a good compromise ensuring that you still get like a little powerful, like maybe a little smoother gameplay, maybe a little better graphics. Um, and by little, I mean little, <laughs> since we just said that it's not going to be full on uh, balls K everywhere. Um, but especially with, with so much demand for remastered editions, I feel like, I, I had a conversation with uh, with my roommate very recently about that, that we're both just really amazed by how many games, well, or at least big titles, receive these uh, remastered edition. Yeah, I just, uh, I just played through, what was it that was just remastered? The Bioshock games just got re-released, and then oh, the, yeah. the Batman Arkham <laughs> games are being re-released next month, and... The you know the Tomb Raider game from like 2013 or 2014 got remastered for the new consoles, and so it seems like this is a a whole business strategy to try to you know turn the red into the black for your books by releasing the same game again. But then I also have bought several of these remasters and enjoyed oh, them yeah. a lot, and so I'm like, can I even be mad? I mean, I'm admittedly not mad. Uh, I saw that uh, Skyrim is about to be yeah. re-released. And the Last I, of Us got re-released. All the Uncharted games got re-released. Yeah, I think Assassin's Creed is going to release uh, an Ezio collection with, with all the 
the Ezio Trilogy games with upgraded uh, Brotherhood graphics, and Brotherhood, Revelations, and, and, and all two. that good stuff. And I, I've so frequently complained about the the push for for optimized graphics soaking up so much development time that a lot of modern games have been lacking in, in storytelling. And I know I've, I've heard Lions and you talk about Last of Us and, and also coworkers raving about it, which is always why I preface, man, maybe I should not have gotten an X-Bone. <laughs> it's like, damn it, you guys have some really cool titles. Um, so, so there are definitely exceptions, but if they bring back games where I've, thoroughly enjoyed the story i'll i'll gladly shell out money for a remastered version because then i have the best of both worlds like i have the the better graphics and potentially mm -hmm. some some smoother animations and smoother gameplay but i still get a good story and not just some bazooka of vfx and yeah some tech like demo a, yeah exactly like a, a tech demo with a storyline that the intern has written um I think one thing I don't see happening, which I mean, I guess we'll find out, is I don't think PC gamers are going to get up off their mountain to come down for slightly upgraded consoles. Um, no, I think they they will remain the master race. <laughs> uh, but can, you know, can I, I, as a German, say PC gamer master race? Is that still <laughs> PC <laughs> politically correct? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, I guess on the downside, the remasters really are a mixed bag because some of them are just crappy cash grabs. Um, oh, yeah, totally. And, like, I think even with Bioshock, the original Bioshock got a lot of attention. And who cares about Bioshock 2? It was not the greatest game. Um, it's still an all right game. But And then, apparently, the Bioshock Infinite, which was my favorite of the three... Um, Apparently, it's basically the PC version. So if you get the remastered edition for PS4, congratulations. You've reached what the Master Race had, you know, five years ago when it came out or whatever. That's what we get for our laziness of wanting a, a <laughs> bundled box that just does it all. So we'll see how this plays out. Um, I do think that overall, I, I have to say this new model makes more sense to me than just tech moves fast enough that waiting eight years for your whole platform just i don't think that's going to work anymore especially since everything moves towards more iterative cycles everywhere i mean yes also for financial gains but man everything is just speeding up anyways yeah so for our last topic which i have no idea if this will be like the next three hours and we'll be you know, hoarse and our voices will be gone or we'll spend like two minutes on this. Um, <laughs> but this actually comes from a conversation I had IRL with Lyons and one of his coworkers um, about not their work, but about something else, um, about the difference between reading and listening, which was technological because the, the, the original prompt for this discussion was about whether listening to an audiobook counts as reading the book. And I think, you know, on the surface, that sounds like kind of a, I, you know, you're tempted to be like, that's a stupid question. It's the same content. It's the same words or whatever. Um, 
But, you know, since thoughtful people as we are, it's easy to get lost in the meta layer of like, what is the difference in experience? And what does that, you know, what counts as reading a book? What does that even mean? And, uh, you know, what are the meaningful differences? You know, once I got past the whatever, like the way the question was framed, I, I was interested in the topic of, you know, what are the major differences between experiencing a story or other kinds of content? in these different formats. And with that crazy giant prompt, did you have any thoughts about this uh, as we discussed this? I mean, my immediate reaction when, when you prompted me with this topic pre-show was something along learning styles and whatnot, which <laughs> I always, I don't know, always felt very uh, abstruse to me. Um, so like that some people learn better listening versus reading versus doing or something. Yeah, I just not, never really computed with me. Which I, I think we have some research that says that's all a bunch of crap anyway. I could, I could totally see that. Um, I, I, I had to go through that kind of training, so I, I had <laughs> to you expose Are you an auditory myself. learner? Um, no, I'm, I'm just a learner. I'm a... <laughs> sit your ass down and focus on the content kind of learner and maybe a little more context to stoke the fire of this uh uh lion's co-worker uh she felt very strongly that listening to an audiobook is doesn't count like in her words like that's not that's not even it like and the you know i'm sort of making her sound like flippant about it but uh she had an interesting point to make which was um, the difference between what is left up to the person's imagination or how much the viewer or reader or listener um, contributes to the image in the theater of their mind and how much is provided to them. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take that line of reasoning out and not place a bunch of inherent value in one or the other, but just to raise that interesting question of, you know, a lot of audiobooks they're doing voice acting they're um they're giving you you know moods and temperament in the the actors voices and when you read it's kind of up to you and like yeah there's italics and there's typography but is that is that equivalent or is that you know how do how do you navigate these differences I mean, as a as a trained graphic designer, I would have said, of course it makes a significant impact on your experience. Uh, um, have you ever read like the Bible in Comic Sans? Uh, it never would have taken off. Um, or it would have taken off even more. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? I mean... Um, I mean, you've got a spectrum here of like, you've got Marshall McLuhan. It's like, well, of course the medium is a message and it's inherent to what's happening. (laughs) Dang it. That's exactly what I was going going to say. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to go full McLuhan. Yeah. Um, Yes. I I think, of course, that the medium has an effect on that. But it's to me, it's always a very, very fluid spectrum like is uh, is reading something and consuming it <laughs> via my eyes different than consuming it via my ears of course um in the in the same way that um playing a a a video game which is a scripted experience that's audio visual and time based 
is still different from from uh, watching a movie because I'm I'm active to a certain degree. And there, but those are still like you could make a case that they're very similar in in a certain way because yeah. of what I just said. You can also make a case that they're vastly different because of the other aspects of it. And I think to a to a large extent, you can make the exact same case about about listening and and to an audiobook and reading it um personally i i just recently started listening to more audiobooks before that um it was my, my auditory consumption was limited to to music and podcasts and i have not noticed big differences when it comes to consuming entertainment content Like I find certain characters just as likable and I still picture them the same kind of way if I read the book compared to if I if I listen to the book. Yeah. Um yes, of course I'm I'm giving away a little bit more control when it comes to to tone and uh inflection of voice when when the reader tries to portray how that the character is agitated or <laughs> frightened or I think that's at the heart of the most interesting part of this to me though because where do you draw the line on the author deciding things for you like it's like oh, I don't like character's name Bruce you need to let me pick the name and oh this like why do they have to go to a swamp I would you know let me contribute to the plot and I'm partly like well then you didn't want someone to write a story for you you wanted something else and <laughs> it's sort of this but then that combined with the insistence that um so one of this coworkers felt very strongly about this that uh the book was the real thing and the audiobook is this weird other thing. And it wasn't like, oh, they're just different and we can talk about the different. It was like, no, reading the book is the thing. And that audiobook stuff you guys do is, it's some bastardization of it. And I don't know how you, like, can we have a canon of experience and everything else is apocryphal and heretical? <laughs> I mean that's that's a super uh super modernist way of of looking at it. It's uh like this this idea of while the the recipient of the message is going to there's only one true way of of interpreting and receiving and understanding that message and that's the way the the sender has intended it. Um <laughs> but no matter if I read it or or listen to it I will always perceive it differently based on my personal background, my my yeah. personal experiences and potentially even the context and yes that context will differ based on whether I'm listening to something or or reading something like uh I tend to listen to audiobooks most of the time while I'm commuting um yeah. so uh, my attention is a little divided between crazy Colorado drivers and some <laughs> some some great literature. I've actually found the drivers more aggressive here in Ohio, though not quite East Coast aggressive. Uh, I hear stories of Massachusetts and uh, other states. Um, uh, just to, to more about this, um, I do think it's also interesting, though, because I think a lot of artistic experiences 
can be sometimes far more enjoyable when you do surrender to someone else's vision. And so, um, the, the, and I mean, I'm not crapping on this person's, like they liked reading books and that's awesome. I like reading books too. And I have nothing against books. Yep. Um, but it, it was interesting to me. It was like, when I go see a film, I really don't want choose your own adventure. Like I really want to be drawn into someone else's world and like, to be shown how they see things. And that's, what's so amazing about like visual storytelling to me uh, is it seems especially powerful at doing that. And there are other times where it's like, no, I, you know, there's this new craze of, have you done like a puzzle room or a escape room? No. Have you heard of these though? Yeah. They're just like, yeah, you're trapped and you get, you know, you go with like five friends and there's all, you know, you're trapped in a room and there's all these clues hidden. And sometimes there's even actors involved that, you know, you might find a hostage or you find, um, you know, different things going on and you have to solve the room. And that's like a structured experience that someone else authored, but you're an active participant in it. And it's like, that can also be amazing. Um, and I guess I, I just don't see anything being canonical. I think, uh, to be human is to be very meta about all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know what, what to say about that. Um, I, I think you could say that it probably adds to, to your experience in a certain way if, if you listen to something. I mean, part of the, the difference is, uh, and, and to, to pick up an argument that, I kind of interpret from what that coworker said. And I was not part of that conversation, so I'm just playing by by hearsay. It's it's the real deal when you when you read the book, um, because it's also in the same kind of format that it was created in. And by by that I mean when that author was was writing that book or creating that book to, to phrase that even more neutrally that book was was written it was written language and the way it is presented if it's a book is it is written language it's not the the handwriting it's probably not the, the same typewriter <laughs> or whatever that author used and but the, but it is still the, the inf- same there's an infinite gap there i would argue that <laughs> The second it left the author's head, there's been so many fundamental transformations and contextual most likely negotiations, let alone the reader's entire life and context being brought as its own lens. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I meant uh, I, I'm cutting the reader out a little bit. Um, I was I was focusing on the other half of that of that process. So you could say that it is it. It did not switch between different mediums as much. Yeah, it it was it's shaped as written language, and it is closer presented. to lossless. Or yeah, exactly. It is. It is closer to. It's hard though, because like you ever, you know, whether someone likes the Lord of the Rings movies or not, um, you ever look into the history of the the books and how many versions there are, and all the changes made between them, and um, actual errors. Like, there's no way this character knew this yet because this information had, you know, whatever, this little like plot hole type things. And like, you really find out that even your most beloved and highly regarded works are very, very much living documents. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and, but that's a really good point because I'm, I'm wondering if, if her argument is along the lines of, do you not realize how crappy it is? 
when you watch a movie of a book that you loved, it, it's almost like 99.9% of the time, I feel like it's, it's a bit of a letdown yeah. uh, with, with varying degrees. I mean, I, I admit I haven't read the Lord of the Rings books. I have watched the movies and admittedly enjoyed them, but I'm pretty sure they are going to be different from, from the books. And to a large extent, I'm okay with that. Um, there, there are certain books that I, I hold very dear from, from my youth and my childhood that I, that have been turned into movies. And based on these experiences that I've made, I just don't have a desire to, to watch the movies because I yeah. know exactly what, know quote unquote, exactly what these people look like in this book. I know exactly what that landscape looks right. like and, and everything that happens. I don't want to be told by a movie that that was wrong. I wonder what the, like, there's got to be some good psychological terminology for what I see is not so much. I mean, yeah, often these movies made of books are bad and they're bad for the reason that it's hard to adapt a book. A book is usually more complicated. There's more characters. There's more space devoted to things that you don't have time for. There's all these reasons like structurally that the movies can often end up worse on, you know, some theoretically objective level that you were somehow measuring. Um, but at the same time, man, where was I going with this? <laughs> oh yeah. So some good psychological terminology that um, can explain, like, let's assume somehow in this magical objective scale you're comparing these things, that the book was every bit as good of the, as the movie. Like, somehow they were equal and they were both completely their own valuable thing. Um, that even in that, you know, this impossible ideal case, that the person who experienced one first the collision of the vision that comes with experiencing the other is just something that most people don't enjoy or are not predisposed to typically appreciate. It's like, I, you woke me up from this other dream I was having, and I don't care how good your dream is, this one got interrupted, and people are grumpy when they get woken up. Yeah, like, is it, it kind of like that? Yeah, I think it severely violates their anchoring bias. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's the term that you were aiming for. Um, how That's your great. your perception of something is is framed by whatever you experienced first. Like you, people discover this, like um, getting into a band that has a long discography. They love the album they discovered them with, and it's hard to dethrone that. Even when you know it's like, oh, the new Radiohead is so good. It's the first one I ever heard. Uh, who cares about OK Computer? You know, or whatever band you want to take for this comparison. But it is sort of a primacy of the 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 viewer that kind of takes precedence most of the time. Yeah, and I think it's especially difficult if you have to work backwards. Because you can always make a case for, well, there there was a development and maybe when you go forward in time, you can understand that development. But working backwards is like, I mean, it's as if you played an amazing computer game and then you work backwards to like it's windows 95 version <laughs> goodness gracious what just happened yeah um, like I, I love the original deus ex a lot and it's still my favorite but if i had never played it in the year 2000 
I don't know if I'd be able to get into it. <laughs> like, I think the the graphics and the the clunky UI, like, it would all just be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the the same case with a lot of other things. I know that I will get probably a lot of uh, vitriol from people, but <laughs> I'm afraid that that's exactly what's going to happen with with the Final Fantasy stuff. <laughs> Probably not go back to the beloved Final Fantasy VII if they if they just had to go back. That's probably why they all insist on we need a, a good remake. Uh, I think we can probably wrap up the the discussion about reading versus listening by there are way too many factors that contribute to your consumption experience, whether that's reading it or listening to it. Uh, such as the type of content. Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Um, are you doing it for, for leisure? Are you doing it um, because you're, you're forced to learn something for work or for school? Yeah. Um, your own context in which you consume it. Um, and all these things contribute to it that I would even make a case that reading is not always reading and listening is not always listening. Like even within those two broad buckets, there will be so many differences that <laughs> yes, they will, of course, reading will also then be different from listening, but I would shy away from, from making a, a statement that one is better than the other. And with that, I'll rest my case if it pleases the court. <laughs> all right. All right. The, the jury will go away and decide, uh, no, that's great. And uh, I, I think that's a good point as any to, to wrap it up. This is a thank you so much for being on the show, Mark. I, I love talking to you about all kinds of things. And I think this was no exception, uh, whether it's tech or these more philosophical topics. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, listener, with that, that was episode 137 of Flipping Tables. As always, head to sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 137 for the show notes. Uh, which will have links to all kinds of stuff. These these PS4 Pro, the paparazzi clothing, uh, something about the Internet of Things that we're so cynical about. I'm on Twitter. Mark, you're also on Twitter. Yes, uh, I am. I'm at pseudo Michael. And what's your Twitter name? I'm at Mueller MM. That's M U E L L E R M M. So uh, hit us up on Twitter. We love feedback. Uh, tell us we're wrong or right or whatever. And also, uh, in the past few months, we've actually been having a pretty thriving Reddit community for Flipping Tables. So if you go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables, you'll see a link to each episode. And we kind of consider that our comment section because we don't put comments on our website. Um, but it's it's been pretty lively, uh, you know, 20, 30 comments on several of the episodes. And uh, I'm sure Lions will listen and get in there and have his own questions. So uh, definitely get in there. Uh, if you'd like to support the show directly, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars to the network. And depending on the level you pledge to us, you might get your name mentioned at the end of Flipping Tables or all the shows on our network. And so with that, a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Planned Obsolescence Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much, and we'll see you next week. So much love. Ha <laughs> ha.